So I remember a fellow traveler on business. We were going to uh, International Civil Aviation Organization meeting in uh, Montreal in Canada. And we arrived and he was also from the United Kingdom. And I saw him on his smartphone doing something that looked very strange. And I said, what are you doing? It wasn't a smartphone. I mean, a mobile phone. And he said, well, I'm just giving my son the coordinates on the chessboard for my move. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. He said, yes. He said, because we have long periods of separation. What I do is I play chess with my son no matter where I go. So I tell him my coordinates and he moves my piece on the board and then he'll move his piece and he'll tell me what he's done and we play in that way. A warm welcome again to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Ferina Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of Leaders Plus, which is an award-winning social enterprise running a fellowship program to support leaders with babies and young children. With this podcast, I want to bring you practical support, inspiration and access to some of the role models that we have on our wider program. And just so that you can find your way of combining your career progress with young children. Today, I am extremely delighted to interview Ufi Ibrahim. Ufi has had an illustrious international senior leadership career in tourism and hospitality. She is the chair of the Hotels Energy Board at the moment. She is also chair of tourism at the All-Party Parliamentary Group for International Trade and Investment. And she was chief exec at the British Hospitality Association and COO at the World Travel and Tourism Council. All of that she has done while single-handedly bringing up a young son. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ufi. So hello, Verena. I had the opportunity to become a mother at a very young age. It was an unexpected graduation gift, if you like, from university. I was very young when I had my son. I was just 19 years old and a student. You know, I had very little support at the time. So I was a single parent and I very quickly had to find a means of supporting my son and myself and pursuing and continuing my education with a view to to developing a career. So it was a very tough time. And there are definitely moments when you're in a situation like that, when you feel that you are pushed to the very limit of your own capabilities. But if you can get through those moments then I always say they're like a slingshot. It's like an elastic band, you know, it's sort of retracted as far as it possibly can get. But then once it's released, the projection forwards is definitely, definitely worthwhile. In a nutshell, that's basically uh, how I came about becoming a mother and getting the, uh, the resilience and the ambition to succeed, to take care of my son and to pursue a career. When you first found out you were pregnant, what options were before you at the time and what went through your head? Well, it was, uh, my goodness, (laughs) it was a difficult time. I found out that I was pregnant very late in the pregnancy, which sounds silly, but at the time being so young, I just really didn't know what was happening. So by the time I found out, I had very little option but to put my head down and to try and find out, you know, solutions as to what I could possibly do next. And I have to say that at that point in time, my university network, so my professors and lecturers at university, some of my teachers were of outstanding help and support, particularly one professor whom I've kept in touch with all these years later. And uh, he's very aware, Professor Peter Burns, that, you know, he did a huge service to me. I'm very much in his debt for the support that he provided me with, pointing me into directions as to where I could get support. The very basics, housing, you know, a roof over my head for the night, food, 
I mean, the very basics. At that point in time, I was struggling to survive. And so it was a very challenging point in time. Mm. And you were telling me earlier that at the time you were cut off from support and you literally didn't have a place to stay. And I think you work between four and seven in the morning and something yeah, like so, that and then went to uni. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my parents were in as deep shock as I was at the time um, when I broke the news to them, especially when I told them that, you know, it was so far in the pregnancy that they were definitely going to have a grandchild. And they decided to be lost in their emotional state at the time. So they provided me with no support. And they basically said, well, you really are on your own in that case. You've really disappointed us. And so you have to now make your own way. So I had to leave home. I didn't have the support of my parents at that time. They did come around later once the baby was born, thank goodness. But at that time, they I was completely on my own. And so I had to start to find, as I said, the first priority was a roof over my head. And, you know, calling favours and friends and sleeping on people's sofas or on the floor, wherever you can <laughs> at that point in time. And the second priority then is being able to provide yourself with some food. So I started to distribute leaflets, you know, door to door. I started to do other jobs. And in order to be able to continue studying, I had to find employment that could be done prior to university starting. So I was very fortunate. I found a job in then Thomas Cook Money Rooms. And we used to start very early in the morning, prepare all of the financial you know, packages for the various banks and foreign exchange bureaus. And then those monies would be distributed to those you know, financial establishments in time for them to have that foreign exchange for when they opened their doors at 9am, which suited me very well because I could do that first thing in the morning and then get to university to do my lessons and then, you know, be able to earn and learn at the same time. It was challenging. I'm not going to lie to you. And it was always very clear that it was going to be temporary, which was very concerning. So there's always the element of risk and uncertainty when you're in a situation similar to the situation that I was in. Because you know that that's a very, for a limited point in time. But it definitely worked out very, very well for me. Mm. And there's a lot in the media about teenage pregnancies and it being, well, I guess 19 is, is probably as far away from being a teenager you can get. But, you know, there's a lot in the media about it being very, it's a very negative story. And I'm just interested in, obviously, at that time, how did your perception of what your career would look like in the future, how did that change or did that change at all? I couldn't think of that far ahead at that point in time. One thing that I've always had is very clear dreams and ambitions. Ever since I was a child, you know, I could very clearly visualize what I wanted to be and where I wanted to be. And I'd already discovered, you know, my passion, which was very much about people and international exchange and international understanding, diplomacy, international relations, and therefore travel and tourism. I already knew very, you know, very clearly that I had a special passion for that particular aspect of the global, you know, socio-economic movement. And I was very clear about what I was hoping to become, but I had no idea at all about the steps that would get me to being able to participate in that world. So I was very much on my own in that respect. So, you know, that meant that I tried to build as strong a link as possible with my university contacts, my professors in particular, and to really lean on them for their support and their guidance and their advice. But they were also limited in what they could do, obviously. But I really appreciate their efforts for trying, even trying to find me jobs. 
in order to be able to, you know, ensure that I could continue studying. Mm. So they were very supportive indeed. And I truly believe that when you are in a situation, any situation, you can find support if you are just willing to ask for it. Mm. And sometimes that support can come from individuals whom you least expect would be able to provide you with that form of support. So other classmates, for example, would say to me, oh, you know, if the tutors find out, you know, what's your position going to be? This is terrible. You're going to become a single mother at the age of 19. What a disgrace. And your family have basically turned you out. So there was a risk to talking to my professors and being open and saying, look, this is the situation that I have put myself in, you know, hands up, completely my own doing. I have no one to blame but myself. But if you can just take that leap of faith, and be willing to trust that, you know, people are genuinely willing to help in the main. Most people are genuinely willing to help. So not being afraid to ask for that help and support, I think, is a very important lesson that I learned that, you know, I would share with anyone trying to pursue their career. And that learning has journeyed with me all the way through. So even today, I am not afraid to, or unwilling, or even shy of asking individuals to provide me with mentorship, support, advice, help, you know, and I've always found that people have been very, very willing to help in any way they can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if you could do it on your own, why would you want to do it on your own? I always say that when you pass the finish line, If you're on your own, it's a very lonely place to be. But if you can look around you once you've passed that finish line and you have a whole cohort of people whom have helped you to get there, you have some wonderful people to be able to share that joy of getting over the finish line with. So never, ever miss an opportunity to reach out to other people to help you cross that finishing line. Mm. I love that. I love what you said about the fact that it's a risk sometimes to ask for support, especially if you don't go for the obvious person. But at the same time, that's when you potentially get the most reward from that risk. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in a situation like that, sometimes you have to take the risk because you have no option. And that's very helpful because if you have the opportunity to be able to think twice about taking a risk or not, sometimes you may make the decision of, you know, not <laughs> not taking the risk. But in my experience, I found that taking the risk was absolutely the right thing to do. And so I would encourage others to be courageous mm-hmm. and to believe in themselves, believe in their own capabilities, believe that they definitely can achieve and that the risk is sometimes worth taking. So take that risk. And as I said, look for the support network that you can actually have to help mitigate that risk, but ensure that you will receive the benefits of taking that step forward in terms of your career. And make sure that's a discipline as you continue to progress and advance your career as you go forward. From that moment when you were standing without a roof over your head to today, when you are one of the most senior people in the tourism hospitality business, what did you do to progress your career until today? Well, I made sure that I was earning and learning at the same time, always. So if I was able to find uh, employment, that would be able to, it was obviously part-time employment. For many years, it was part-time employment because that's all I was able to do because I had to care for my young son. So for many years, it was only part-time. But what I didn't do was stop 
at only doing part-time work and caring for my son. At every opportunity, I continued to learn. So I cannot, you know, emphasize highly enough or underline the importance enough of continued education if you want to progress further in your career. And let me just give you a little example of how that helped me. So when I studied travel and tourism, one of the first disappointments that I gave my parents, by the way, <laughs> before becoming a single unmarried mother, but the first disappointment was my choice in career. So they wanted me to read law or medicine, either would do. And I decided that I was going to pursue travel and tourism. So that was their first major disappointment. And then what I did was I wanted to ensure that I could pursue the career. But actually, even at that point, the only reference I had to what my opportunities could be beyond graduation were my parents telling me that I'd probably end up just becoming cabin crew for an airline. And there's nothing wrong with cabin crew for an airline, by the way, because it's a very noble thing to do to care for people. But that was, you know, their definition of the end point of my career. So when I did graduate and I had a young son to take care of, so financial income was very important. And I did look for jobs in the industry, but I couldn't find any. I couldn't find any jobs that I could possibly do. Now, today, when I look back, and having worked in the industry for a very long time, I cannot believe that I couldn't find a job at that time in the industry because I can tell any woman today, or man for that matter, that if they are looking for employment, they are more than likely to be able to find an opportunity for employment in the hospitality and tourism industry, even in, you know, in the UK alone, let alone anywhere else. There are so many opportunities. And even if those opportunities may be seeming to be very low skilled opportunities and perhaps even low pay opportunities at the start, I would encourage anyone to take those opportunities up because there is no stopping you once you are in the industry. And I am a prime example of that, starting at the bottom and then working my way up to the top. And this industry, more than any other industry, I believe has those sorts of opportunities for social mobility and career progression. So I would definitely recommend anyone to do that. But somehow at that time in my life, I just couldn't find one of those opportunities. So it was probably because I didn't really know where to turn to and the official support networks were not so great. And the support that I had sort of opted for was very academic. So I was speaking to the academic professors and there wasn't much else that, you know, sort of to pull me into saying, well, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? And I did go to the unemployment office at the time, but um, I was told that I couldn't, I had to make a decision. I either stop studying and therefore I can go into the social security benefit system or I forego the social security benefits that were on offer and I continue my education. And I opted to continue my education. I was horrified, by the way, that of course, yeah. there was a, so a this you, or that, but yeah. I opted for the education. So how did you make it work then financially? What was your first job after graduation? Part-time jobs. And after graduation, I found an opportunity in a financial organization selling financial products. And it was a very difficult interview process. Eight mm. interviews. Wow. Starting with a group of 40 people going down to one person. So it was a very strenuous, <laughs> very meticulous system that they have in place to choose the right candidates. So I was very proud of myself for getting through that process. 
And I enjoyed working there for some months, but the pressure was very high at the time. There was no nothing such as childcare support or anything that the company provided. In fact, there were only three women working in the company. There were about 300 men working in the company at that time. So I felt quite lonely in that time, given that I had a young baby. I decided to cast my net wider to see if I could find an opportunity and ideally in the travel and tourism space. And I was very fortunate to then find an opportunity in American Express, a fantastic company with lots of support for their employees and fantastic training possibilities within the company. So, you know, they have outstanding education programs and training programs that any one of their employees can make use of. So I started to make use of as many of those training opportunities as I possibly could while I was working. And that was, uh, I think, a a real turning point for me in my career, my professional progression. Mm. How did you make childcare work, both during the times when everything went to plan and also when it didn't go to plan? Well, when it went, I, I didn't, I couldn't afford formal childcare. So that was very challenging. And I didn't actually have a place of my own in terms of a a home of my own for many years. You know, so it was very difficult. I was in between different people's homes. So I my son would basically be taken care of by whomever I was able to sort of pitch my tent with for many years. And from time to time, my parents stepping in and saying, well, we will help you. You know, we will take care of him on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, for example. And when we take care of him, you can sleep here with him. So that was a huge relief. It came late, (laughs) but it was very, very welcomed when it did arrive because it was a huge weight off my uh, shoulders in terms of my day-to-day survival concerns for my son and myself. And so once you have that additional support, you can then inject and invest that energy into, you know, progressing your career, which is what I did. So I then took that and I invested all that time and energy into developing my career. I'm amazed at how you managed to hold down a job in a male-dominated organization while at the same time not having formal childcare. And I'm just interested, is, is there anything that you've learned about juggling childcare and childcare emergencies? The emergencies are terrible. I mean, I think that any mother that is dealing with looking after and taking care of another human being, you know, is uh, is to be awarded a medal full stop because, you know, it's never smooth sailing, is it? There are always problems. And aside of the health problems and those sorts of emergencies, which do happen, you know, there uh, I had other challenges. So if you, you know, I didn't really have a fixed abode. So that when it came to trying to find my son at preschool, I wasn't able to get him into preschool because the system doesn't support that. So that was a huge challenge. So I was very let down by the system. As in because you didn't have a fixed address. Because you, you don't didn't. have a fixed address, you you know, the system basically says to you, well, you know, you can't, where are you staying? I say, well, I'm spending half of my time in this borough, half of my time in this borough. And they say, well, go and try the other borough. And that borough says, go and try the other borough. So they ping pong with you. So I thought, right, that's the first lesson. I've got to find the ability to be able to have a fixed abode so that when it comes to school, I can at least get my son into school. Because if he's in school, then for those number of hours, 
you know, he's, I know he's in a secure place and I can invest that in working. And so that was very important to me and I managed to do that. But even getting him into school wasn't easy because the school places were very limited and I had to go to court to get my son into primary school. Actually, the same primary school that I went to so that my parents were able to collect him from school and take him to their home in time for me to, you know, get to my parents home after work to be able to collect him. So just for that additional, you know, bit at the end, it was so critical for me to get him into that school. But I had to go to court because there was only a limited number of places in the classroom and there was a child that had, you know, needs for additional support. And because of that, they had to curtail short the intakes. So I had to push very hard and go to court to be able to get my son into school. So everything was a challenge. Everything that you can imagine. And I know that other mothers would understand and be sympathetic with what I am saying because it's very challenging. There's no doubt. If only it weren't, but it can be very, very challenging at times. So when you don't have that kind of financial income to be able to hire childcare, it's all about friends and family. That's what it's all about. That's what I relied on. So did you have... Just a rota of lots and lots of friends. Literally, yeah. friends and family. Yeah. All the time. Wow. And that in itself is an investment, isn't it? To engage everyone, to coordinate everyone in order to make sure that you have yeah, all and bases covered. Absolutely. And to not to be too much of a burden on any one particular line of support, because that would be unfair. Except for the grandparents, of course. You know, they're, they're, I did take full advantage of my parents <laughs> later on when they came around to saying, okay, we'll help. And they really rose to the challenge and they were amazing. Let's talk career progression. What do you think is the most important thing you did, aside from asking for support, that helped you to move up the ladder step by step? I think the single most important thing I did, aside of the fundamental basics, which is whatever I did, I tried to do it very, very well. And I made sure that I would not complain about everything that was going on in my life outside of the workplace. When I was in the workplace, I tried to be very clinical about giving 100% of my energy and focus to the workplace when I was in the workplace and making sure that what I did, I did very, very well, exceptionally well. And that could be as basic as preparing tea and coffee for visitors to the office. It could be any task at all or writing a report or whatever it might be. I tried to do it as well as I could. But aside of all of that, it was just taking advantage of any learning and training possibilities that I could at any time. No matter how menial those training opportunities may have seemed, I took them just for the sake of being able to continue learning all the time. And people take note of that. So people take note of the investment that you make in yourself and your progression and your knowledge and your capabilities. And experience will come. But the fact that you invest your time in continual learning really does make you stand out. And sometimes it's very easy for you to get carried away in the workplace in terms of focusing on your tasks, your roles and responsibilities, and forgetting to invest in yourself. And at home, same thing. You can get very carried away taking care of your family, your dependents, and you can forget to invest time in yourself. So it was difficult for me 
in my family life to be able to do that because I had to do a lot more to care for my son than others perhaps who would have that network around them and they would have that infrastructure and security. But I certainly made sure that when I was in the workplace, I took full advantage of everything that I could to invest in myself and my knowledge. And it definitely stood me in good course. And people notice, your managers notice, your you know your employers notice. You meet new people across the various training programs that you do. And so that really helped me and put me in good stead. Hmm. I want to pick up on several things from that. First of all, training is an investment in yourself, but it's also an investment of time. And then as a single parent, I'm sure like parents who have more support, I presume you had a lack of sleep constantly. And obviously you didn't have a partner that you could send into the room with a child for one night, or maybe you did have to grandparents, but workload, sleep, what gave you the resilience to keep going towards your vision? Well, certainly I lacked some sleep, no doubt. Sometimes I still do. <laughs> I think that never stops. How, how old is <laughs> the challenges. Now? now he's too old for me to lay blame on him, assign blame on him for keep giving me sleepless nights. But there are other pressures that, you know, come along in life that then do that. So, but I used to prop my son up on the bed next to me when he came to the age that he could actually sit up. <laughs> and I used to open one of my university books and put it on his lap, poor little baby. <laughs> and I used to sit opposite him, cross-legged on the bed and open the book and put it on my lap. And this poor little baby would look at me and look at the book and basically think, what <laughs> is my mummy doing? But I did that many a night and had to read through the nights. And even when I was working and I, later on in my career, and I had an international job working for an international institution. And I became a very senior person in that organization. I became the number two in the organization, the chief operations officer of the World Travel and Tourism Council, traveling the world constantly to different destinations, meeting with heads of state and meeting with investors all over the world and some very intensive meetings that you had to be very prepared for. So even in those, you know, in those international trips, I would say to my boss, the president, I would say, right, fantastic. We've done the meetings. I've done the dinner, the dinners as well. But 11 p.m., I sign off. I'm going to my hotel room. I have to study. And I would, I would sign my study time was 11 p.m. to 2 a.m., for example, wherever I was. I would make sure that I dedicated that time every night without fail to studying and still be up at 7 a.m. the next morning by the latest, sometimes 5 a.m., depending on what we were doing. But a couple of hours sleep, a good swim, and off you go. You know, just make sure that you get that time in to continually expand your thinking and equip yourself with the knowledge that will definitely come in handy in helping you to progress your career. Because ultimately, particularly in the business world, your ability to think and to identify and craft asking the right questions, to unlock questions, to be able to find solutions or to help find solutions is critically important. So the only way that you can really exercise and train your mind, or one of the best ways that you could do that is through education. So it's just constant education. And I still study. I'm constantly studying. So I made sure recently that I brushed up my knowledge on artificial intelligence and, you know, machine learning and robotics, because, you know, you have to have that knowledge today if you're looking forward and want to continue to progress your career. So I never stop studying and I would really urge everyone to do the same, to invest their time in that. Really interesting. International travel 
with family? Anything that you've learned? Any particularly challenging moments that you've overcome? Well, when you say with my family, do you mean on leisure or do you mean on business? On business. On business. Well, I mean, when I traveled on business, my son had to stay behind. It was a very difficult time for my son and I because it meant that for many years, there was a lot of separation and periods of long separation. And it's very difficult for a single parent to be able to to do that and very difficult for a child who has a single parent to have those periods of long separation. But it had to be done because, you know, when you're a single parent, you are the single financial provider for the family and you are the single person who provides the security for the family, the long term security. And I guess one of the things that I, you know, always was mindful of is, you know, everything is temporary. So I was always concerned about investing for the future. So for me, you know, the 10 years that I did the role where there was a lot of international travel, I loved, I admit, absolutely loved it. I wouldn't change it for the world. It was, you know, definitely ringing true with my passion in terms of the industry and the opportunities and being able to do what I did. But the separation from my son was very, very difficult. So it's all about, you know, telephone calls every evening and trying to find ways. And we didn't have, you know, we didn't have Skype and we didn't have a lot of capabilities in those days. Mobile phones were very different to the smartphones that you have today. So it was very limited capability in terms of keeping in touch. But I remember a fellow traveler on business, we were going to a international civil aviation organization meeting in Montreal in Canada. And we arrived and he was also from the United Kingdom. And I saw him on his smartphone doing something that looked very strange. And I said, what are you doing? It wasn't a smartphone, I mean, a mobile phone. And he said, well, I'm just giving my son the coordinates on the chessboard for my move. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. He said, yes. He said, because we have long periods of separation. What I do is I play chess with my son no matter where I go. So I tell him my coordinates and he moves my piece on the board and then he'll move his piece and he'll tell me what he's done and we play in that way. I learned a lot from uh, those sorts of insights from other parents who also were traveling constantly for their jobs as to how they would keep that line of love and communication flowing constantly with their child. So I tried to emulate those sorts of things with my son. Unfortunately, I was very bad at chess, but uh, <laughs> so the games weren't very long when we played them when we were separate. Uh, but, you know, finding those sorts of, uh, you know, valuable little insights is always an eye-opening, wonderful thing to be able to share with your child when you're separated for long periods of time. The Leaders Plus fellows often talk about guilt and being very ambitious, but at the same time, not always feeling like a good enough parent. What made you feel that you were a good enough parent? Well, my goodness, a good enough parent. I mean, I don't... I. It's difficult to define what a good enough single parent is because there are so many pressures on the single parent. So you have to be fulfilling the role of two parents in yourself as one. So it's very challenging. And was I ever good enough if I reflected on doing either one of those roles? I'm not sure. I'm sure I could have done better. But did I do my best in terms of the combined role? I did my very best. I did the best I could. In terms of guilt, my son became a teenager. Those difficult years, everybody has them. And if you haven't had them yet, they're coming. Watch out. So I remember having a conversation with my son and a very good friend of mine who was acting as a mediator. (laughs) 
and we had this conversation. And my son had lots of complaints about things that I had done and not done, you know, over the past and, you know, taking his games away from him because I thought he was playing too long, but I shouldn't have and all sorts of complaints, you know. (laughs) So I listened very carefully and then I started to feel guilty about some of the things that he said and not guilty, but started to question whether, you know, because I was very open and listening to him, you know, trying to actively listen to him. And as he spoke, I started to question whether some of the decisions I'd made as a parent were the right ones or not, you know, listening to what he was saying. And my friend, the mediator, stepped into the conversation at that time because I think she noticed that I was uh, beginning to question and doubt myself. And she stepped in, thankfully, and she said to my son, which I'm very grateful for, and it stayed with me, that comment. She said, well, your mother did the best she could at that time, given all the circumstances at that time. She did and made the decision that she felt was best at that time. And if anyone is ever feeling guilty about anything looking back retrospectively, I would say to them, just remember that at that time, if only we had hindsight at the time, our lives would be very different. But at that particular point in time, given all the pressures and all the various factors and circumstances, you, whoever you are as a parent, most likely made the best decision that you felt was the best decision at that time. So don't feel guilt. Just feel that whatever you know, decision you made, you made for whatever reason at the time. With hindsight and reflection, wonderful. You can always reflect and one should always reflect on what they've done. But don't channel that into guilt. Channel that instead into learning. If you feel that you could have done better, how could you have done better? Tackle it like a task that you would do within your working environment. So say, okay, what did I do? How could I have done better? You know, make sure that you are really reflecting on that. But do not get caught in the guilt trap because the guilt trap is one that drags you down and you have very little time as a parent who wants to, you know, progress your career to worry and delve into those sorts of activities. Instead, you have to channel that into reflection, learning from the past, improving yourself and moving forward. So absolutely no time for guilt. Delete that um, emotion as far as you can. And if you ever start feeling that, begin to inquire, why am I feeling this way? What is it exactly? Try to, you know, break down what those feelings are and try to understand them and be kind to yourself. My goodness, you know, you must be kind to yourself. If you're not going to be kind to yourself, who else is going to be kind to you? So be kind to yourself, be forgiving and try to use those positive learnings to do better in the future. Mm. There's so much more I want to ask you about this and other topics. So my next question is around part-time working. So you worked for part-time for a number of years and you progressed as well your career in part-time roles is that right well you know the beauty of doing part-time roles and I did six months here six months there was that I was able to then use those learnings like a mosaic if you like in putting together my resume to be able to get my first you know serious job so it was very important for me to make sure that it didn't matter how long the contract was, six months, 12 months. It didn't matter whether it was two days a week or three days a week or just a day a week. The important thing was that I was constantly doing something. Mm. You mentioned choices earlier. Were there any particular choices over the last years that you think were critical to you being where you are today? 
I think every decision counts, ultimately. Every decision you make, you know, it's the butterfly effect, isn't it? So I think one has to be mindful that every decision that you make affects not just yourself, but if you're a parent, it affects your children and it affects your family, your wider family. In my case, it affected my son, my family and my friends because every choice I made, you know, I had to have this whole support network to help me to make, to, you know, realize what I had set out to realize. So I just think it's important to be mindful that every decision counts every decision. And sometimes, you know, the decisions that you make when you look back and you reflect on them, you think, well, perhaps I should have made a different decision, but there's nothing we can do about the past. So other than learning from those uh, choices and making sure that our future choices are better informed so that we can, you know, choose the right path going forward, be that for the development and the nurturing of our children or the career path, you know, either one. Is there a particular career move that you're particularly proud of? I would say that I'm just thankful, very grateful for all the opportunities that I had in my working life, because each one of them gave me completely different learnings and putting those all together. And I'm still collecting data in that respect in terms of experiences will be absolutely fundamental for shaping my path going forwards so i think make sure that you view every opportunity as a learning opportunity every opportunity and sometimes what you're learning is how not to do things and that's okay because you know what greater learning can you have than understanding processes that could be vastly improved and developing the tools and the experience to understand how things perhaps should be done differently and not be shying of doing your own research at that time to understand how things could have been done differently. So I discovered Charles Handy when I was working for an organization where I thought that, you know, the HR policies could have been slightly better. And so I started reading about, you know, different people, academics, very academic reflections on people management and people development. And I came across Charles Handy and the Citizenship Company and, and other such, you know, theories and write articles. And I greatly enjoyed reading them and reflecting from what I was learning on, you know, how not to do things which I was experiencing. So I treated every opportunity as a learning opportunity. And I tried to do my best given the circumstances that I was in at the time to help the organization to perhaps improve. No matter what level of the company I was at, I did my best to make a positive contribution, but to make sure that I was taking away a positive contribution for me too, even if that wasn't directly available, indirectly it was. So you've got to be curious and you've got to be ingenious and, and you are, you're all of those things. We are all of those things. It's just that we have to perhaps awaken that part of the brain and say, right, let's turn this into an opportunity and let's just think about what we can learn here. That's very inspiring. I want to finish by asking you what your favorite moment was of combining a really ambitious career with a young child. I think every moment with my son has been the most important moments of my life. You know, I think that he probably is the one that gave me the strength, the backbone at many some points of my career to keep going because I had to. But the moments in which I could combine my work with my son so that he was sharing the benefits of my learning, I think were the most important moments for me. 
So, you know, being able to take him to destinations, countries that I had been working in and to be able to show him, you know, that give him that international cultural understanding. So valuable. So I, I, those moments for me were the most magical or arriving in a city and sort of walking the streets and thinking, wow, Tokyo is amazing. I would love to bring my son here. And then being able to then take my son there or, you know, arriving in New York and saying, I really would like him to come here and see the United Nations buildings and, and then being able to do that. For me, those moments are the ones that I'm most grateful for, being able to share those amazing geographies that we have in the world um, with my son and those experiences, combining work with my son, the sort of the benefits of my work at that time with my son so that he could learn and benefit from those two. And I think that, you know, I have come across many organizations and businesses that understand the value of the fact that you're not just employing an individual as an employee, you're employing a human being who has a family, who has children. And I've seen many enlightened employers being very embracing of those families. And I was very fortunate because, um, you know, when I was at the World Travel and Tourism Council, my you know, my boss was very much like that. You know, it was, you know, his family really embracing my family, my small little family, my son and I, and being able to work together in that way and ensure that my family and was growing with the organization growing was just magical. So I encourage employers to become enlightened if they haven't already, and many have, of being really embracing of those families. And, you know, when you get involved in professional networks, there are some professional networks that I had the opportunity of being part of. So, for example, the Young Presidents Organization, the YPO, and they have family trips together and family outings together. And it's wonderful to be able to work with fellow professional colleagues or to interact with professional fellow colleagues also as human beings, also as parents, because there are so many parents around and sometimes it can feel very lonely if you're a parent and you think, well, I'm different. I'm a parent. I have, you know, a dependent and I, it's this professional environment doesn't really, it's very challenging. But ultimately, there are many parents in that environment. So many. So, you know, being able to interact with them and get their children, your child or children interacting together is also very, very valuable. So it's all about cross learnings and sharings and building your support network as much as you possibly can. So, uh, I wish every parent well in pursuing their wonderful careers and, you know, ensuring that they benefit for their longer term um, through continued learning, but also that their children may benefit from the continued learnings and enlightened employers as they all go forward together. Thank you so much, Ufi. That was really thought-provoking and inspiring. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs>